there he lays, hung on a cross, the cost of obedience. I imagine as his disciples, those who were brave enough to be there, as they stood there and see his limped body, they couldn't but think about the events that have just unfolded. It was just moments ago that he journeyed with a few of them in the garden on the Mount of Olive. And uh, he asked them to pray. Pray that you will not come into the time of trial, he says to them. And he moved farther away and he lays and knelt and prayed the same. By human calculations, if they are correct, it's been 33 years that he's been waiting for that time. But there's a sense in which it's taken an eternity for him to be at the place where he's about to fulfill his mission. I imagine his parents will have told him as he grew up that this is the moment for which you came. Times and times again, he will tell them, my hour hasn't come. He was very aware that there's a reason, there's a purpose. But here he finds himself at a crossroad. Should I go through with this? There's pain with that. There's suffering. And we find him praying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. However, not my will, but yours be done. Many of us, if not all of us, find ourselves at similar crossroads where finding God's will is only the first part of what our experience is. Having the courage, having the strength to do it is where the rubber meets the road. The will to obey what we know God wants us to do. The will to nourish the desire and to develop the habit to align our will with what God's will is. The events leading up to the point where um, Jesus Christ finds himself in the garden shows us that he's very aware of what's going on. He, at this point, has, he knows about what's going to happen to Jerusalem. He predicted that Jerusalem is going to fall. He is able to tell his disciples exactly where to go to find somebody to help them in terms of where they're going to celebrate the Passover. He's able to tell the disciples that he's going to suffer. He tells the disciples themselves that they are about to suffer a test. So this is not taking him by surprise by any means. Yet, there he is, praying. Is it possible that this cup can pass from me? Is it possible that I could be spared from this? Is it possible that my disciples could be spared from this? You see, obedience. So I wonder if Jesus in the garden is thinking of Saul. So there he was. The king of kings, kneeling in prayer, waiting on God to bring about the kingdom in his own time. 
in his own way. Sometimes disobedience comes because of lack of trust, self-reliance. So I wonder if Jesus thought about the children of Israel. Who in the wilderness and God give them manna? And he tells them clearly, each day take enough for that day. And some of them just couldn't believe that for the journey that's ahead of them, that one portion would be enough. So they took two portions. What happens? It rotten. But before the Sabbath, God tells them, now you need to take two portions for today and tomorrow because you're not allowed to go and gather. So those who took two portions earlier now find themselves, uh, well, two portions spoiled. I'm just going to take one. And what happened? The Sabbath came. They had nothing to eat. I wonder if he thought of Moses, who after years and years of putting up with the children of Israel, after years of leading them and putting his life, placing his life, offering his own life for them, finds himself in a situation where he went out of patience. And in the process, thought that it was all about himself. So God asks him to speak to the rock and give the children of Israel water. He struck the rock, not once, not twice, and claimed that he is the one who can do it. Should we give you water, rebels? And he struck the rock. Water came. They got water. The people drank abundantly. But what did God say? Because you did not trust me to show my holiness before the land of Israel. Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Discourse. Self-reliance. Lack of patience. Lack of trust. So there he was. The lawgiver turned servant. Utterly dependent on God. Praying for himself. Praying for his disciples. Agonizing that they too will have what it takes to withstand the trials they're about to face. You know what, what's most disturbing about disobedience? Sometimes it's justifiable. Other times it benefits us. It benefits other people. It makes us feel good. But in the end, it drives us away from God. Our culture has sold us on the lie of pragmatism. But allow me to tell you that the end does not justify the means. Saul could have justified it. I needed to do this. We needed to go to battle. You didn't, call, you didn't show up on time. You told me. I waited seven days. The children of Israel drank water. But that's not what God asked him to do. He needed to align his will to the will of the Father. 
So what does it take then? What does it take to obey? I think to obey God, we need to nurture wisdom and strength. Will you agree with me that the creator of the world will not dwell in monotony? He's too creative for that. So, you may face one problem today and the same problem tomorrow, and today God asks you to stay. Tomorrow, he may ask you to go. That's because he's God. That's because he's wise. And if we believe that he loves us, and if we believe that he is good, then we can trust and depend that if he tells us go, that's because he wants what's best for us. If the same situation presents itself and he asks us to stay, that's because that's best for us. So we need the wisdom to do the right thing at the appropriate time. We need to learn to listen very closely. Moses was told to actually strike the rock in Exodus 17 at Oreb. God said to strike the rock. But next time, he was supposed to speak to it. The right thing at the right time. So I wonder if Jesus had us in mind when in 22, 35, 6, 35, 36, he tells them, when I sent you out with a wallet, bag or sandals, did you like anything? No, we didn't like anything. Then he said to them, but now, whoever has a wallet must take it, and likewise a bag, and those who don't own a sword must sell their clothes to buy one. He's not talking now about, before that you are not violent, now I want you to be violent. If you look at the, if you look at the story later, one of them used their sword. Jesus said, no, 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 that's not the point. He's about to leave, and he's telling them, before I tell you, don't take anything. Now I want you to take something. In the context of the story here, Jesus is leaving and he's telling his disciples, I'm empowering you and I'm giving you a kingdom. The provision that I give for you, now I'm asking you to have things in hand so that you now are able to provide for others. If they now say, but before we didn't take anything, why should we take anything now? Different times different circumstances, wisdom, obedience. Pay attention. I wonder if he had us in mind as he taught them the wisdom to know the difference. Obedience requires humility. Humility is a key factor why? Because when we understand who we are, when we understand our place as humans, we get to acknowledge who God is for who he is, and it becomes easier for us to obey. Humility is important. And I wonder if Jesus had us in mind when he tells the disciples, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you 
must become like the youngest, and the leader like the one who serves. I am among you like the one who serves. The king of kings, in obedience to the father, becomes a servant, and he expects us to follow his example. I confer upon you just as my father conferred upon me a kingdom so that you may drink and eat at my table. And you will do for others what I have done for you. You're kings, which means you're servants. You're empowered to serve. You're empowered to help. And as a king, we respond to the king of kings. We obey him. Obedience is possible if we can learn to trust and depend on God. At its core, obedience demonstrates that we trust God to provide for us, to protect for us, to protect us, and to fight our battles. We trust him with our lives. Because if Jesus' example is anything, obedience doesn't necessarily mean everything is going to be smooth sailing. We can be in God's will and suffer. We can be in God's will and things are falling apart. These two things are not exclusive. But we remain in his will because we trust him. We trust that he can show up and be with us. In the most crucial moment of his mission, Jesus is as human as can be. But guess what? His weakness was the source of his victory. In his weakness, he allows God to show up and do for him what he couldn't do for himself. Can you imagine the creator of the world kneeling? He's checking his sweat because he's sweating so profusely. It's like his life is dripping out of him. He's in agony over what he must do. And he needs to depend on an angel to come and strengthen him. That's where obedience takes him. And it is the same obedience who's going to allow the stone to be rolled away. And he can rise in victory. Because God will not forsake his children. Trust. Dependence. Obedience is possible, obedience is doable, because God is on our side. And that's the good news for today. If obedience to God is a cosmic battle, in this cosmic battle, God is on our side. 
Obeying may be challenging, but obeying, obedience, it's doable. Jesus took great care in warning the disciples about what's about to come. He didn't simply warn them. He prayed for them. He stood in the gap for them. And when they failed, he forgave them. He warned Peter. He warned him. So can you imagine Jesus standing there and getting beaten and being shamed? And he knows it just happened. Peter just denied him three times. So in grief, he looked back. Buddy, I told you. And Peter realized what happened. But he also remembered, Jesus said, I'll pray for you. So that once you have returned, you will strengthen your brothers and sisters. This is God's prayer for you today. I have prayed for you, Jordan. I have prayed for you, Summer. I have prayed for you, Grace. I have prayed for you, Ashon. I have prayed for you, Kayla. When you have returned, strengthen your brothers and sisters. If you show up for an exam that I'm giving, right? And uh, I say, here's the exam, and I also have the key with me, so whoever wants the key in order to take the exam and have 100%, who will take me up on that? I'm glad to see a few hands. Here's the point. In the exam of life, Jesus is the key to that test. God is not leaving us without guides. He is saying, here is an example. Follow it. Jesus did not obey because he was God. He obeyed in his weakness. He did the most humanly thing possible. And the new Adam shows us what it means to be truly human. My feet take me to William's Prayer Chapel many times. And uh, I like to go there and spend some time. And the panel there helps me in difficult times. Because as I look at Jesus, clothed in weakness, pain and sorrow, and look at the garden in the background, I can't but think about the Garden of Eden and the failures of Adam and what it took, but also the success of Jesus and what it took. I can also think of the hope of what's to come because the leaves of this tree are also the healings of the nation. The pillar of fire and the cloud reminds me of the fact that this is not about me. It wasn't about Jesus in his weakness. It was about God and the power he has to guide us safely 
where he wants us to go. So I go there and I pray. And when I rise, I have confidence that I can do it. I can do it one moment. And I think if I can do it for one minute, maybe I can do it for an hour. Maybe I can do it for two hours. Maybe I can do it for a day and the next day because his presence is with me. I can obey him throughout my life because he's always with me and he fights my battles. I want to ask you to come forward. I'll ask you to take some time and ask yourself, do you want to live in obedience to God? Do you want to align your will to his? Because he is God's will. God's will is for you to obey him. Because you may find what that will is after you discerned it and you realize, ah, I don't want to do that. That's too painful. Ah, I don't want to do that. That takes too long. But do you want to obey him? Do you want what it takes? Do you want the courage? Do you want the wisdom? Do you want the strength to align your will to his? Because if you want it, he will provide it for you. If you want it, he will empower you. He himself will empower you to do that because that's what he wants. Because that, that's what brings joy to him. Because when you don't, it grieves him. When you don't, it breaks his heart. And he stays with an open arms and he's waiting for the time when you will finally decide to do that. What will it be? It's your decision. But that's what he wants. You see, Peter did go to the depths. All the way down. But he did return. He did return. And when he returned, this is what he writes to the church to strengthen them. Because like their master, they were suffering. Like their master, they had learned to live in obedience and they were paying for it. So as you rise to go, as you rise to go, if you want to stay and pray, continue to pray. If you've made the decision to obey, you'll quietly rise and go. But hear these words that Peter gave to the church. Like obedient children, 
Do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy for I am holy. If you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. For to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his footsteps. Obedience. Obedience. 